Hi, my name is Sandra Tushinska and you're listening to The Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. Welcome once again, one and all, to The Probiotic Life. I am your host, Ben Klenner. Today, we have a really fun interview with Sandra Tushinska. Um, Yes, she definitely coached me how to say her last name there. She is a microbiologist and she did her PhD in land remediation with mushrooms. So we get into that and lots more. Um, So we do talk about land regeneration, we talk about mycology, the study of mushrooms, and Sandra shares some of her story with us and how she's got to where she is and some of her passions. So sit back and relax and listen to this interview with Sandra Tushinska. And once again, if you want to support the podcast, you can rate and review it on your podcasting app. You can subscribe to it and share it with some friends. Who do you know who would love to listen to something like this, who would benefit from uh, listening to a podcast like this? And you still have one day left to enter to win the fermented plant juice on the giveaway on Instagram. So check that out at The Probiotic Life. So without further ado... Here is the interview with Sandra. Today on The Probiotic Life, our guest is a mycologist and a doctorate in microbiology. Her name is Sandra Tushinska. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate your efforts in trying to get me to speak to you about what I'm passionate about. So, so that's right. You're, you're a mycologist and trained in microbiology? Yeah, I would say I'm a micro- microbiologist trained in the end. My PhD was in a, a science of mycology. So I did an agricultural science degree and then I went down the path of microbiology and it ended up being a PhD in using fungi in remediation of heavy metals. Um, yes. Wow. Okay, so um, take us back a little bit. How did you get interested um, to do your PhD? Where, where, where were you at the time? Tell us a bit about um, what you were thinking and why you decided to get into that. Well, having done agricultural science, which I was always into nature as a kid and, you know, I just love nature. However, I didn't know what I was getting myself into in the sense that I was in for a shock and it was kind of suggested by a friend um, to just go, oh, go more specific, don't just do science. I was going to do like science, arts combined, you know, biology was always my thing. No matter like any life form, I'm into it. So um, ag science was a bit of a shock because it meant that I learned about the food industry and 
all the, um, you know, pesticides, antibiotics going into the environment um, and all the, you know, suffering of the animals and the whole lot. It just, like, I was so, um, really, I suffered a lot <laughs> as a result of knowing that because I didn't know that the world has to be so cruel in order for there to be food or, yeah, and specifically food in this case. Um mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing is like vowing to myself that I want to reverse it. I turned vegan straight away pretty much after first year of uni. I started studying about it and writing book about fruitful nutrition, like about how we can survive on fruit. I went nuts. But I also decided I still want to study and not just let go of, um, um, you know, the fact that there are ways and the beautiful subject of microbiology, especially using microbes to remediate um, damaged landscapes and oil spills and stuff like that. That's what really excited me at uni. And I was like, oh, I just love this stuff. And I want to somehow um, get into the research of that. So I did my honours um, project at Sydney Uni um, based on looking at how isolation of organisms in a cotton field soil that had a pesticide called diuron, which is actually running off into waters and killing dugongs um, because it kills the grasses that they feed on. So, you know, in a secondary kind of way, it's reducing their populations. Right. Um, Yeah, I was studying that and whether the diuron at high concentrations could be degraded by the organisms that are endogenously already living in the soil. So the beautiful thing was like, yes, I found this, you know, group of, I don't know what they were, I never got that far, you only get a year to finish it off and, you know, submit it. But there was a consortium of microbes that were actually breaking down this um, herbicide um, and I was like, wow, that's incredible. You know, obviously that's when you start getting your, um, hopes up, you know, that there are possibilities that are endless once you start looking at the unseen life and what it's actually doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I traveled, went to Europe and then I was like, oh, I still want to do more research. So <laughs> I found a lab at University of New South Wales and they were studying hyphae of fungi, which is the, you know, my, my, what forms the mycelium network underground. And there were the type of fungi that, um, grow symbiotically with um, trees um, and provide food resources and other nutrients like water and other things and immunity for the for um, for plants to survive on and this is like some you know I love this symbiotic relationship so much and I was just looking at the cells and how they were reacting to heavy metal mm-hmm. um, pollution but not really pollution high concentrations and varied concentration metals and these particular fungi came from i brought them from um, poland and germany because they were known to already be doing that and they were used in remediation of um mining sites and i was like okay so you know my with my with my supervisor at the time we decided that would be a great cellular project to look at the cells and how to look at the cells and see how they would how they deal with this amount of pollution inside of them, you know, um, or toxins, you could say, and and can they come back to life if that pollution's removed? That's in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Wow. So really you are focusing on how exactly how the cells break down these, um, these toxins. Yes. I was looking at how, because heavy metal is an element, obviously, so it's, you can't really reduce it um, in, in to a smaller particle. It's what everything else is built out of. So really, um, like with other com- bigger com- like compounds that you know metals are a part of, you could probably break things down, or if you're a fungi, you could. And so we could do that in our body with digestion as well. But because they were like the elemental form, 
it's like, well, they can't take it, break it down to any, any further. And what happens at the cellular level, whether it's getting into the cell, is it getting blocked? And if so, how? And whether it's affecting, and I was particularly looking at how it affects the organelle systems. So like mitochondria, which is like, you know, the, the powerhouse um, organ of the cell and how um, the vacuoles inside, which are also like, you know, um, organs that help, um, you know, like, you know, water um, retention in the cell and all those kind of things, how the organs were reacting. So it was very specific. And you kind of go, when you're doing your pages, you're like, how am I, how is this contributing to the end product of my desire to clean up the environment, you know? So it was very much like, you know, you're always kind of going like, okay, I'm doing this and I'm so engrossed and I'm going like into the deep cellular kind of structure and looking at it and sitting in a dark room for four years every single day, <laughs> hours on end looking down a microscope. But, you know, at the end I was like, well, this is my jigsaw puzzle that I'm adding to this research. It's not like I'm going to save the world in this and people are actually using these organisms already. Um, but I'm just doing a jigsaw puzzle. I'm just adding. So I had to be kind of always aware that what I'm doing is just showing one tiny little bit, you know, of something that has much larger impact when all the other information comes together. So understanding how a cell works, you know, rather than actually going out there and, you know, growing the fungi on plants and seeing, you know, it in action. So my whole idea of it was like, wow, I can't believe these guys, these fungi can do this. <laughs> and it excited me a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> so, <Fantastic>. I <continued. laughs> so really, when you came out of that out of that time of study, um, you didn't necessarily have any illusions of you are just going to change the world straight away. What what was your mindset then? Where where did you where was your mm. um, where was your head at then to to move forward? Well, actually, there were times when I was really depressed about it. I was like, what the hell is the point? Like, we're still doing this damage. I'm not going to reverse anything really in the reality and I'm only doing this part, you know. So I had to really kind of um, just keep going and not really think about, just get some results to show something and contribute to science rather than have an ideological view. And now I'm kind of a little bit different because now I'm like, well, I can kind of go into different areas. Like I could have, for example, gone and, in, you know, and done more research and actually done it outside where we could apply my, you know, create symbiosis that we know these plants need these fungi. Let's inoculate them, put them in the soil. And because I was a lab-based um, mycologist, I never got to do that, but I can see how that can now be applied. We know this, I've got the faith in it. I can see it that what's happening on a cellular level mm -hmm. and, you know, there's so much more information about it now. It could ease, And people have done it all over the place. I don't think we've done much of it in Australia except for actually Western Australia. Um, so it's a possibility, a ginormous possibility of cleaning up a lot of land. Like, for example, there's 15,000 um, mines in Queensland that are just open-cut mines and just leaching metals into the environment constantly. And they just, no one wants to go there, no one wants to clean up, government don't know what to do with it. So it's like, why can't we get a group of people and go and do that? You know, this is one of my dreams, you know, in the long term kind of, <laughs> you know, um, getting the community to work on it rather than expecting governments and companies to clean things up. We're using their products. Let's go and do it. So these are the kind of ideas I have, um, which we'll probably talk about much later. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you were saying that there's some, some projects or something in Western Australia. Yeah, I heard that there was, a, that's been mentioned a few times. I haven't really gone and looked into it much 
Um, but once again, there's like at the moment, the workload um, for me is quite large because I work for Woodfordia, the home of the Woodford Folk Festival as an environmental projects officer. So you can imagine that I've got so many projects that are on the go. And so we've got to start somewhere as things um, happen. And also, you know, yeah, I think collaboration is the way to go. And I do definitely think um, I need to concentrate more on how to increase this sort of awareness. And this is why I do what I do. I give talks about it. Um, I do some mini experiments, you know, I want to publish stuff um, for Woodfordia and because um, we're like a organization, non-profit organization, organization that has in mind environmental um, uh, improvement on a very large scale and we've done a lot of great stuff and now I've, I'm in the role and the position where I can um, help to generate that on other levels. So. Right. <laughs> so it's it sounds like um, you're in a place where you have lots of opportunity but you just got to start somewhere. So you're starting as the environmental projects officer at Woodfordia. That's that's um, really cool. So what does your day-to-day look like? So today I had a great meeting with my boss and we talked about the projects, you know, how the projects that are currently happening on the land are running. Um, I started myself as a volunteer and I've done like soil remediation using um, mycelium, for example, and it was um, like... Uh, we've got quite a bit of erosion just for the sheer reason that we need to move soil for the festival and stuff like that. And also there's already been existing erosion from um, it being dairy farmed, the land. Right. Um, so we're constantly, the you know, people have volunteered over time to produce this amazing result of plant, planting over 100,000 trees on the land over time, over the 20-year period or so, and doing all kinds of amazing, like, volunteer-run um, you know, growing, for example, cycads and returning the, you know, the nature back to what it once was. So my project in that is fungi, um, creating fungi gardens, working with volunteers to maybe do some proper research. And all of that is still, I'm just at the beginning of really forming that. So that kind of planning and the discussions and the research that needs to be done, that's what I kind of um, make my work on an everyday basis, Yes. Wow, that's fascinating. It sounds like um, you have lots of passion, Sandra, that, that you, um, this is something that you uh, really believe in. Can you, can you share a little bit about where did that come from? Where did that passion come from? You said you, when you were growing up, you were in love with nature or you connected with nature. Um, was there any defining points? Where, where did that passion come from? I think... Um I was very sensitive to other life forms. I think because, to be honest with you, I think I, I was an only child and I think for me living with three adults, my grandparents and my mom, and in a quieter, you know, in a communist times and stuff, I kind of resonated with animals and nature much more and other kids. And I think we were so, you know, how kids are so curious and they always like spend time looking at things and playing with things. And I just always noticed that there must be some great love that created all of those amazing things to interact with, the life forms. Mm. And I think because I felt quite challenged and lonely as a child, I, it's often the case, isn't it, where the kids kind of turn to animals or, you know, and I never had pets or anything. So I was always yearning to like, to, you know, to be in interaction. And, and that's what I do now. Like I collect pieces of wood and then I'll like see fungi can grow out of them. <laughs> like mm. I pick up, you know, a caterpillar, um, uh, like just making a cocoon and then I'm like, I want to observe it and document it. I'm just so passionate about watching life happen 
And the microbial life is amazing because you don't see it with your naked eye, but you definitely see the results. And it's the fastest way to go, wow, look, that just ate all that cardboard I've given it by just giving a little bit of water. And now it's become soil or mycelium is spreading through it. So I'm constantly taking photos. I'm like a little kid. Mm-hmm. So I've still got that inside of me and I've always had it. And I think all children have it, but sometimes it gets kind of... Um, taken out of us over, you know, as we become adults. And I've never lost that. And that, I think, is probably where my passion drives me because I'm still that little kid that wants to look at a caterpillar and watch it and document it and study it and blow it up and see what's on its head and the different colours or with fungi the same, you know. Like people might look, I look at fungi and I think they're wonderful and gorgeous because the fruiting body is so perfect and just wow, glorious and colourful. But it's the mycelium that excites me almost the most. Every time I see this white thread spreading, decomposing, it's like I kind of connect to that so much more because I know that will also produce the mushroom or the, you know, or the other form that fungi come in. Mm-hmm. And, and and I just see it as for what the, 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 the beauty of the mycelium. I call it the magical mycelium when I give talks. <laughs> and, you know, it's not the magic mushroom. It's the magical mycelium that produces the magic mushroom. And I just love it. Like, I just think it's so awesome that this incredible network that's got the same structure as the galaxies and our neuronal system, system of neurons, um, and the river systems and how trees grow, that fractal geometry of it, and the power of what it does, that just excites the crap out of me. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I I can relate to that excitement because for me it's the same with talking about compost and talking about – you know, the microbes in the compost. It's just like, to me, it's so amazing that that life uh, comes out of death. Life comes out of the, this decaying matter to produce more life. Uh, it's, uh-huh. it's just, uh, I think really that that can, if you let it, it will help you to be present. It is help you to be present in the moment. Like I was talking um in the last interview to Christina Campbell, she said she's a, a very type A personality, gets things done, but doing fermenting for her helps her to be present. It helps her to come back right into the moment. Hmm. That's wonderful. And I think that's exactly what life is about, like that observation and being with whatever it is. You know, like I might be completely distracted, um, as Christina has said, um, in the like say, you know, I'm doing a thousand things at a t- at one time, trying to balance this and stressing out. But when I'm with that little fungi that I'm photographing or just looking at, like the world doesn't exist. Those moments are the ones when I'm actually the most connected to myself and the most emotional about the beauty of it. So therefore I'm like being me in that moment and I don't care what anyone else thinks and I don't care if I have to lie down on my belly I'm on the dirt, even though I'm wearing a pretty dress because I want an image of that particular thing and I can only get it that way, you know. And that's the childlike kind of presence that I think kids have mm. and that we can and we should all have to be, to have, to actually feel what life feels like. Because if I could just then transfer that onto my relationships with human beings, you know, like with a friend, whoever it is, I could be like completely engrossed in them. Mm. So, you know, imagine how we can love each other in a way that, you know, in that sort of way, like just... Yeah, just really, really collaborate on so many things as a result. And I know I'm going off tangent, but I can see how there's a hierarchy of that needing to happen if humans are going to get along on Earth as well, you know, um, having that that intention and that um, passion for humans um, primarily, you know, I think this is just my, it's so easy to love a microbe. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? You kind of like, look, it's so cute. It's growing. It doesn't talk back. You know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. But can we extend that, that, you know, that awareness, as you say, and that being, being right there and being ourselves with others? For sure, though, uh, you, you, you said it, uh, intention. And I think that's, that's what it's all about. It, it's about um, how do we relate to the, the world around us, to the microbes around us and to um, each other, uh, other human beings? How, how, what is our intention towards each other? And I think it has to start with loving ourselves first. Yes, absolutely. And the fact that our bodies are like, you know, our body is one thing um, as, a, as an organism, you know, like 90% of our cells are actually microbial cells in our body. That's majority of us. So the body is not even us. And you can start going into all kinds of um, research and stuff going, well, if this is just microbes doing all this work for me and actually if I keep them healthy, that's one aspect. But also knowing that the body is just an organism, you know, that works in this incredible symbiosis that we hardly know anything about and largely it is driven by microbial life. That's just incredible to me, you know, that, um, yeah, if we had a microscope on us, I mean, we're just all constantly covering all kinds of organisms, not just fungi and bacteria, but there is like, we're just like a, <laughs> you know, like a planet of, of its own with all its citizens living together and, you know, all the, and the, the support that our cells get as a result as well. Like, it's incredible that it's the world, it's kind of like the world in a, or the life in the world unseen. That's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. We might not see it, but we see it giving us life and that the beauty of the support system we have, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and to and you know, soil because I love plants and animals, so I want to support the soil in the same way that it produces this possibility of life on Earth that once was. And and you know, regenerating it is that's where probably I'm like that's where my passion lies probably the most at the moment um, in trying to experiment with that and. And I love what you do as well because you, you've shared that you do that kind of, you know, giving that attention to to, to seeing what the microbial life um, results in when you feed it, when you look after it, when you water it, etc. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, that's how, that's how I heard about you, Sandra, was um, or read about you on an article that I saw through someone sharing on Facebook of uh, you talking about how mushrooms... Um, or well, some mushrooms can eat plastic. Is that right? Is that is that they can actually di- digest some sorts of plastic? Yeah, and the beauty of that, once again, it's like I love how nature works. You know, humans are so interesting. We, when our intention, as you said earlier, if it's not going in the right direction, we can mess things up pretty badly. But it feels like someone had a bigger plan than that and decided, hey, there are already. I've got everything ready. And when <laughs> when you guys mess up pretty bad. These things that are originally there or, you know, or even come to being as a, as a way of remediating that. It's like the balance is always restored. Nature is always designed to restore its balance. And so this is where fungi come in. So plastics are made of um, crude oil that's been extracted from the earth. And that oil, where did it come from? And it came from wood to start with. It was all decomposed wood that created crude oil or petrochemicals as we know them when we once we process the oils and so if you can link it up from plastic being made out of crude oil crude oil being made out of um, trees to start with and if fungi have the major role of decomposition in this in in ecosystems and actually creating breaking down bigger molecules like 
what trees are made of, you know, the cellulose and the um, lignin, you can go, wow, if that's degrading that, then why can't it degrade um, the plastic that's mm-hmm. made out of that originally, <laughs> made out of the wood? So this is where the logic lies and that's awesome because that means we can never mess up too much even though I looked before when you asked, I was like at uni, I was like, what's the point? We're effing it all up anyway. Nothing's going to change. But now I'm like, oh, my gosh, amazing, amazing um, systems put in place that we can encourage to actually decompose some of the most harshest chemicals we've created because all we've done is use nature to create them in the first place. You can just, you know, make the puzzles different as in putting the molecules of different things in a different arrangement. And, yes, it makes it hard and plastic's awesome in how it serves us. It's just that, yes, it's also so difficult to degrade. So what fungi do is, and in, on the ABC article you've mentioned, they kind of went haywire with one liner that I've given them on the, during an interview. And I said, oh, yeah, that fungi like vomit, you know, vomit onto the plastic and then can decompose it onto the wood. The reality is they're just excreting their enzymes. So the same thing we have in our guts, you know, in our um, stomach where you know, little molecules are created and they're, like, kind of made out of protein. They kind of have almost a life on their own and they, like, biological scissors cutting things up so that we can use the nutrients that are left over from larger things like food. So the same for fungi. That's what fungi do. They excrete, I call it vomit, just because I just use that word to make (laughs) it um, palatable (laughs) um, to (laughs) to people. Not that anyone wants to eat vomit, but anyway. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But... um, well, maybe if it's fungi vomit, I wouldn't. I mean, honey's vomit um, from bees, so maybe I'm not being too far off. <laughs> anyway, so so the fungi basically excrete these enzymes externally out of their cells and decompose, and the acids as well, so they can decompose rock, for example. They've got strong enzymes because their primary role is to decompose really hardcore, large molecules like lignin and cellulose and chitin which is you know what insects are made out of and then that means that something like you know a plastic could be potentially decomposed by those same same enzymes it is not very easy but i've seen it done in experiments and uh, i just absolutely love this one experiment um done by utrecht university and living studios um in holland or the netherlands and they've basically shown that you could get a fungi um, schizophylum commune to be precise it's a beautiful little mushroom and basically feed it plastic if you put it into a liquid culture and if you activate that plastic with uv rays and this is a bag so we're not talking about hardcore you know bottle or anything like that and it depends on the plastic of course on like what the plastic is made out of as well but you can then put it into an agar capsule inoculated with um the mycelium from the liquid culture or the spores, feed the plastic in and as the mycelium develops, it's devouring the um, the nutrients in the agar, it's then starting to consume the plastic as well. And they've definitely shown that they won a really prestigious award for that um, because they were solving, you know, world hunger, they were solving um, issue of pollution and also renewable resources for like growing populations. And you can imagine how powerful that is. And they've made it into this <laughs> appliance that's going to sit in your kitchen and you can do this with your own plastic. And in the end, you eat 
the capsule, the fungi capsule. Wow. You garnish it. They've even written a book for it, like a recipe book, and made special utensils so you can eat it in a really lovely way and it looks beautiful. And I was just like, I love that story. You know, that's just like, that's just like the icing on the cake, you know. And I know it needs a lot of research and stuff, but just the fact that you can grow food out of plastic because of fungi, <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I'm sold, <laughs> you know. it's So wonderful. really it's, it's sort of at the stage where um, it's theoretically possible and it's been done in a lab, but yes. to get it to, um, to market, then it's actually going to need a lot of development still. Absolutely, as everything else does. <clears throat> so it's not something that we're going to see in our kitchen appliances um, in the near future. But I think, um, the, the, you know, someone's already planted the seed and done the work. And I just find that so, so inspiring because it opens up us, like, you know, whether it's a scientific community or people at their homes to go, how can, like, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe kids can be shown. This is why I'm so passionate about education you show this to children at schools and they'll be the new generation learning these kind of things. Like I think science communication is so extremely important because those young people will be the ones that need to clean up the mess we've created. And if they can start learning this stuff now in the curriculum, I think, you know, imagine the possibilities of how quickly things can actually be reversed if we apply very novel and innovative ways of using waste to actually regenerate the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, you know, what, when you say that, that reminds me of um, uh, Peter McCoy of Radical Mycology and what mm-hmm. he's done with, um, I guess, his, his website of trying to make mycology more accessible to mm-hmm. people. Because if you, if you do any research about mycology online, you can just get lost in, in white papers and, um, you know, <laughs> it, it gets very intense very quickly. But... He's, he's um, set out a whole bunch of things that anyone can do, just basic experiments and ways to grow the basic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That's lovely to hear. I haven't actually read that book yet and I'm really like seriously, in the past few days it's been coming into my attention like all the time. And what I love, um, I did end up finding that um, there is a group, I can't remember what it was, but they're actually using the book and doing work with fungi on the land and the greatest thing is when I looked at it I'm like oh my gosh this is exactly what I want to do at Woodfordia I want to create almost my boss calls it you know the the it's the sandpit to play and do experiments and use this amazing land that we have you know to create innovative excellent opportunities for all kinds of things so mycology is one of those things that I would love to link courses because you can't study mycology as a I think um University of Queensland you can do um a course right now um, that's just like a, a unit in part of this microbiology or ecology, but it's a new thing, whereas mycology has been taken out of university studies a long time ago in Australia, and that's why you can only study it pretty much when you do a, you know, postgraduate work. But so we're like, I'm thinking what, and even then you'd have to go to a university if that came back. So it's like citizen science is one of the most amazing, empowering things we can do. Give the people the tools and work with them and they will change the world rather than in science, the way that things are done nowadays. It's kind of all in the conferences, in the papers, maybe a talk occasionally, but none of it gets into the public. And empowering people um, like Peter has done, I think that's like the best way to do it. So um, it's like, yes, create courses, create workshops, get people to grow things out of fungi, which is another one of my passions. 
um, collaborate with growers, collaborate, you know, grow, teach people how to grow their own fungi, teach people how to use the fungi on the land to, you know, to regenerate as soils and stuff. I just think, my gosh, like imagine how fun the world will be if people are like, oh, I love doing this, and then they'll go and do it. And the more we do it and repeat that everywhere else, before you know it, we're all doing a bit in regeneration and growing, you know, replacing plastics by materials grown from fungi and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You know, so I'm just like, yes, I love it. And I've got to get him over to come and talk to us as well at Woodfordia. Um, also, that you know, would be great. Yeah, I want to do a conference at Woodfordia as well, um, like just a fungi conference. So, like, invite all the speakers, like, all the, not so much speakers, but, yeah, they would talk to us. Um, but, you know, all the great, like, Paul Stamets, who, run, you know, who um, wrote the um, – Mycelium book, what's it called? I can't Mycelium believe it. Running? Mycelium running. It's like my favorite book. It's right in front of me and I can't even say it. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, Paul Stamets, you know, um, Phil Ross, who's building the strongest world, world's strongest bricks out of mycelium. You know, like just people like that to come out and have a huge party at Woodfordia celebrating the world of fungi and what we can do and how we can collaborate between us and with the fungi to help us clean up the earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so why don't you tell us a bit more about um, Woodfordia? Because yeah, uh, I only I only heard a little bit about it before, but you're the, you work there, so tell us a bit a bit about it. You said you have some land there. Yes, so there's 500 acres of land that was wow. Yep, um, that was basically um, uh, we we don't own it. The council owns it. We're leasing it, um, uh, but basically we've got all the rights to do whatever we need to look after the land. And we acknowledge the custodians of the land as well and we collaborate with them. It was once a dairy farm and 250 acres of the 500 were basically pretty much completely damaged. And if you were to look at the amount of work, volunteer work that's gone into supporting the environment here, you would see I was looking at maps today on Google Earth, the amount of tree cover that's now present after 20, since 1994 being um, replaced. And the vegetation is uh, mostly native and rainforest species um, to regenerate what we might imagine once was here. Um, this is why using like cycads, you know, which are dinosaur, what dinosaurs used to eat and they've been banned from, from countrysides, basically hardly any of them left because they were thought to be poisonous to, to, to cattle. And basically there was a law saying we've got to get rid, get rid of all the cycads and yet these ancient, ancient plants, you know, and so you can get the gist of how amazing the little projects are that are starting to come together. And we want mm. to invite people to come and be the leaders of these projects. You know, I want, I would love that. I would love to collaborate with passionate people who are like, oh, let's do this and let's do that. And I'm going to be like the leader of this project because I love frogs. And so it's just so exciting. And then the festival comes, which is the most, you know, um, well, for me, I've always loved it. I've been coming since 2009 and I've volunteered and, I'm so passionate about it that I eventually got a job here as a biologist, you know, like, which is really insane. Um, and I just think, wow, like the amount of information that gets passed through Woodfordia on the stages with scientists coming and giving the most amazing talks in the greenhouse, um, which is one of those stages. And then, of course, you've got folk music and food and it's a food festival. It's like everything you can possibly think of is there. And for six days, you're just like, overwhelmed with the amazing stuff that people provide during this festival you know we're constantly striving to make the world a better place and be a platform of education and example um, of how it can be done 
So I think it's a pretty special place and pretty special thing that has been created here. Wow, that sounds really uh, fascinating. I'd love to come and visit sometime. Please do. I'd love to have you here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, is it uh, run by like a, a non-for-profit organisation? Is that how it works? Or? Yes, yes. We're a charity um, and we're not-for-profit. And um, basically um, there are staff um, throughout the year to make it possible and we work in all areas um, of creating the festival. Um, we've got um, on-ground staff as well that look after the land you know, um, we've got one monthly, every month we have a tree huggers meeting, which is basically a group of volunteers that started this love of the land and they just organically came together and started regenerating the land and planting trees, which then became a planting festival, which happens on the May long weekend every year. And once again, it's all dedicated to the environment, pretty much. Workshops of all kinds, incredible stuff happens. So mm-hmm. there's so much. And like these beautiful volunteers that are now my friends, and I started as a tree hugger as well, came together and, you know, basically just started growing plants, started maintaining the plants that were planted and the people planted over the years together in collaboration with the yearly um uh, tree planting festival of over a hundred thousand trees, one hundred twenty thousand, I think now. You know, obviously there's lots to learn, but now, as I said on Google Maps, you can see a humongous difference between what was once here post dairy um, production to now rainforest, um, full like pretty mature rainforest growing. You know, in those twenty years, um, for me it is mature because I'm like, wow, that's amazing what you can accomplish. And obviously they've got so much more potential to grow over hundreds of years. So. So that's mm-hmm. that's why I love the festival, and that's why I love the the idea and what Fortier itself as a um, non for profit organization. Yeah. So they're sort of like caretakers of the land. Yes, yes, Fantastic. and I would even say I would even say caregivers. <laughs> you know. Um, True caregivers. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think um, you know we're all we're learning. We're still learning. There's a lot to be said as to a lot of the things. But for example, we compost every single bit of material that's organic from the entire festival. So like tons and tons and tons of material gets composted and we have soil at the end of it. You know, we, we also have our own filtration plant for all our waste, so none of it leaves the site. So during the, during the festivals when people are weeing and washing themselves, it go, gets put through a specific um, design of a um, system and we end up having a lake out of it that then feeds the bamboo forest that we've just began to grow. So it's very much closing the loops, generating... Um, you know, regenerating the land, but at the same time creating innovative um, practices that will serve in the world as an example and also as an educational um, facility. Yeah. You, you know, um, Sandra, you talked about citizen science before, and I'd, uh-huh. I'd like to come back to that. Um, for people who are listening, what, what's some sort of citizen science that we could do, something related to uh, mycology or even some ideas that you've seen before that, that you think would be really good to um, try out with citizen science? So um, what I would love is, for example, like let's start with soil regeneration because that's my hot topic at the moment. Like, for example, experimenting with putting your all your compost, right, not even composting it, just feeding it directly to soil and covering it up with uh, mulch, you know, whatever you've got mm. available, waste, even cardboard ripped into pieces, even mm. pa- paper um, shredded and adding that food in a hierarchical kind of a way where you would put your waste straight onto the soil and monitoring it, what will happen to the soil. 
first thing that happens is mycelium starts spreading. Usually you can see this in leaf litter in a forest. So basically copying what the forest does. It grows, it drops its leaves, the mycelium, um, its moisture comes into contact, mycelium starts, you know, the spores of fungi start creating mycelium. Then that feeds, you know, creates mushrooms sometimes, that feeds snails, that feeds worms, um, you know, the nutrients are getting passed into the entire ecosystem and then there's like symbiotic passing of nutrients from one thing to the next and then eventually those droppings of those animals and the, you know, all the decomposed stuff turned into nutrients end up in the soil and then mycorrhizal fungi, which are the symbiotic ones, put it into action and, and feed it back to the tree. And so we can actually do that with our own waste, even if it's manure, like our own manure, not to, you know, I remember Sydney used to have a, a pipe coming out and it used to be pumped into the ocean. Mm. So like, why are we doing that? I don't get it. Well, I don't understand where it came from. Like, I love just creating my um, humanure and I don't have to do much. <laughs> I just have mm -hmm. to keep covering it up with, um, I love poo. I think shit is awesome. And I feel <laughs> it's, it's already got my, microbial matter in already. Like, it's almost like your like animals do. You, you've got spores of fungi in there already because you're eating mm. fungal spores and breathing and all of that is inside of us. So you're like inoculating. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I know it's got to be, you know, for um, you don't want to go crazy where it's creating a um, – you know, a problem. But if everyone did that at home and gave that food they've digested back into the soil, that's your citizen science project. Like, I love awesome. it. You know, yeah. and it's like, seriously, let's get down to like the reality of the logic of it. Like, poo is awesome. Poo can do so much for the soil. Once those little organisms like worms and stuff get into it and not like intestinal worms, but, you know, earthworms, <laughs> when they get into that, they're making amazing, amazing nutrients for the soil. And they and they excrete a lot of compounds like fungi produce compounds that stick soil bits together. So you can really quickly regenerate um, sandy soils or very damaged soils. You can feed them. So I reckon feeding the soil in your own patch, even if it's a meter by meter in your own garden, by applying all kinds of waste material that's once came from plants, I think really those microbes in that soil will, and of course, you're, you're not mindful, you're not going to run it off into someone else's backyard, you know. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. but these kind of experiments where you logically design them, apply them and then just see what happens and just watch for six months what happens. It doesn't even have to be like, you know, just, just do one experiment on one of the, you know, say cardboard even, like soaked cardboard. All these organisms, all of them, every life form requires food, water and shelter. So when you produce that, make, it, make that available, you can't go wrong, you know. And by providing all these, um, this organic matter of different types, you are producing um, food, water and shelter and at the same time when I've experimented with the different layers as I was actually doing that as a work for the doll at Woodfordia <laughs> I was actually creating I was I was grabbing everything I could find like cardboard um whatever left mulch was left over whatever hessian hessian was lying around I knew mycelium loves to grow on the hessian so I just created layers and layers of, on, of these materials over um a very very eroded landscape and I've created a little oasis. Now all these little weeds are coming in and they're just doing their bit as well, holding the soil together. And then sometimes a bird will poo and a, and like a, a rainforest pioneer species starts growing. You know, it's amazing. Just watching what you've done, even though, you know, I'm so proud of that little thing, even though to someone else it might go like, oh, big deal. But when I know what it looked like before and what it looks like now, just through that effort, like it makes mm -hmm. my heart sing, you know, like I know it's only a tiny patch of soil, but I've contributed to it and I feel like, oh, this is the best, you know, like, 
yes, it's my little sanctuary that I go to and go, oh, this is so cool. Like, look at that. And, you know, different, the different substrates gave different um, fungi the go. So Mm -hmm. there's different species of fungi when it rains that grow there. So I've created like, you know, I've given so different food, so many different food types. I've created biodiversity in the fungal world. And I'm sure other things are there that, you know, might not be there because there's that particular um, element is not there, you know. And that's just cool when you provide diverse food sources, you're creating a diverse um, community of organisms that benefit from that. That's just one way we could experiment. <laughs> yeah. I, um, Sandra, I love your your passion for this stuff and um, I can definitely relate to this. You know, I know that some of our listeners can relate to this too, that um, just creating life wherever you go, you know, for me, that's what the probiotic life is all about. It's, it's not just about taking a pill like probiotics. It's about creating life, you know, in the kitchen, creating life, doing ferments, Mm -hmm. in your garden, creating life, creating compost, um, you know, in our bodies, creating life in our health and in our communities, creating life by making connections with each other and, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, doing festivals and that that really comes across in, in what you're saying is just creating that life, creating that diversity and I do similar stuff at my house. You know, we are renting mm-hmm. and pretty much every rental um, we've been in in the last uh, nine years, I just try and create life around, you know. Um, I do my bakashi composting, mm-hmm. which is like an anaerobic composting, and then bury that in the ground. Now I have a whole system where I do bakashi composting into thermophilic composting, and then that goes through the worm farms. And by the time it comes out the end, it's like premium stuff. But even when I have a little bit too much bakashi composting, I'll just go dig it down next to a plant and you'll see like probably four to six weeks later, that plant is just booming away. Wow. So great, hey? Like so Mm -hmm. good, so easy. And you're saying creating life, but I even think like creating the habitat for that life, you know? Because life is so easily, like it strikes immediately. As soon as you give it, like I noticed it, like just putting – just putting cardboard on a bed soil, bare soil, and I'm like, oh, okay, it looks pretty ugly, and I've just left it there. And then I have no heart to take it away because as soon as I look under it, it's a whole ecosystem. The fungi, mm-hmm. like the mycelium is growing. I've got awesome photos of it growing all over the, you know, the, the um, and I'm like, I don't want to disturb it. And then you've got, you know, and then there's a cockroach, like a native cockroach in there, and then there's a little slater or, or a termite. I'm like, this is awesome. It's already created habitat. All I gave was just dumped a piece of cardboard on the ground. I didn't even give it moisture, nothing. But because mm. the rain has eventually gone through it and, you know, and moisture has gotten under there, there's this life habitat, like a whole habitat. You could probably like do a whole PhD on just what's under that cardboard. And this is the kind of science I think people need to experiment with and actually document it. And, and, and you know, I'd be happy to people for people to start experimenting at home and even like I've got a Mycomania page, Myco-Mania on Facebook and, you know, contributing this sort of self-citizen science. God knows where we can lead, you know. It's about people power and commingling and sharing information and collaborating. And it doesn't have to be yet a scientific paper, but, you know, you're doing science. You've got photos. You've got like you can see the difference. You can see, as you say, your plant is doing better. That's all contributes to some sort of a scientific data you know and I love that and I think I think I'm so glad in a way that I didn't keep going in the you know this these kind of reflections make me feel like wow okay so I didn't end up staying in a um 
institution and kept going with my research and stuff. And I regret that dearly sometimes, some of the choices I've made. But now look where it's taken me. Like, I'm talking to you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like, like it can, you know, you never know where life takes you when your intention is kind of, you know, in your heart that it's not, it's a good thing, you know. And I think that's where you come from as well. You know that you're creating, you're supporting life and therefore you're supporting human life and therefore you're getting supported by all kinds of laws that are driving the universe, you know, and and I just think that's so awesome. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you know, um, this reminds me of um, some of the talks that I've heard from Paul Stamets and, and what he talks about because he's so passionate about um, fungi and, and, and what they can do, all the possibilities. Um, and I remember he was telling... <laughs> He was telling a story about the first time he had a um, a trip on magic mushrooms and uh-huh. how he was <laughs> climbed up a tree in uh-huh. a lightning storm or something. Um, but it was it was from that point that it's like you, you can't measure that in scientific um, analysis, scientific data. But it was from that point that it actually uh, changed his life, changed the direction of his life, so that um, you know he was creating life around him through fungi, through mushrooms. Uh, you look, that's one of my favourite Paul's stories from his book. When I give my talks, I tell them, I tell people how he went from a forester where he was cutting down trees to now preserving forests because of his magic mushroom experience. Mm. And the fact is, like, I love also the story of, you know, I've read an um, article quite recently um, where they're using um, microdosing of um, psilocybin as a way of dealing with uh, mental health illness. And not that you get stoned from it or get a high or anything. It's in such a small dose. And the article literally said that it strips us from our ego um, and it makes us childlike and therefore connected to ourselves emotionally where we can release, we could connect to ourselves as a person and therefore it allows for healing. So that, and that's science, this is psychiatry science, you know, um, putting that kind of using nature in those little doses where we, you don't use it as a drug, but you use it um, as a therapeutic um, way, you know, and that connection. So there you go, even though that was his experience and it took his starter away, because that's what happened, wasn't it? It actually mm-hmm. caused him to have no starter. And the next time he saw the person, he started in front of the most because he was nervous being around this person he ended up just talking after that experience. And I reckon the what shook him was the sheer terror of being on this tree. You know, this is my theory of it. And he, like, felt some of his fear. And I think those fears are the biggest blocks of us being who we are. And so that fungi, like, somehow helped him. Like, I find that so incredible. Like, that that's how connected we are to nature in every way, shape, or form. And therefore, to ourselves, there's that link again from, you know, do, experimenting with the fungi, doing a self inflicted experiment <laughs> caused him to like you know i love the story i mean it doesn't get better than that a story like that and mm-hmm. and then now it's becoming a scientifically studied process where it's becoming like it might be a med- new medicine made out of that do you know what i mean like i just think wow starts with personal experiences and this is why citizen science is so important whether you're experimenting on yourself on your poo or on your soil (laughs) 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 you know like seriously kids are interested in that sort of stuff they want to know like what is it how does it smell like i'm not saying we should be doing it as adults because we know but you know this is how they discover about themselves 
and like there's been a period of time in our you know development as humans the sanitation kind of killing everything with if not pesticides then antibiotics then you know that's your whole body's killed in that in that, that those 90 of your cells in the body which are microbial are then getting affected by that antibiotic and we're so sterile and mm. you know and it's that mm -hmm. connection whether it's just a plant on your desk or you know a fungi growing in a box because you're like watching it every day to see whether it's, when it's going to sprout or <laughs> you know like i just think seriously that's the kind of that's the kind of connection that people can have with in their own home in their own um, whether it's a compost or a worm bin in your own kitchen or growing a little mushroom in your own um on your desk you know just keep feeding it with coffee people have done it i've done it Um, but mm. not so much, not so much getting to the mushroom stage because I use it for mycelium. But I know someone who grows that on their kitchen bench and gets it straight from his coffee grounds. So I just like, wow, look at that wa that waste that could just be thrown into landfill. Now can be used to regenerate, as you said earlier, life and grow yeah. your food from your own yummy coffee waste. <laughs> yeah, and and like you said, Sandra, um, it's it's connecting with nature because that's what. Uh, the podcast is all about reconnecting yes. people with nature through um, through microbes, through through mycelium, through fungi. Um, you know, I've never had a trip on on magic mushrooms before, but that's obviously one way of connecting mm -hmm. to nature. Yes, me, me too. Um, yeah, but but there's there's lots of other different ways, and and part of what I want to do um, to inspire people is actually to to do little projects. Like, for example, I've just been researching about how you can um, filter air through a, um, a plant that has roots uh, in, in sort of like a hydroponic system, but, but the air actually passes through that growth medium and the microbes within those, uh, on those roots and around that growth medium actually capture the contaminants from the air passing through. Obviously, it, they need to be wet as well for the roots to grow, but the air passing through gets filtered. And I'm just in the stages of developing a little, um, more of an ornamental thing, but an air filtration system. Mm -hmm. That's a, like a countertop air filtration system that has a plant growing in it. Oh, lovely. And so I'd love to hear if you have any suggestions about, you know, what we could use mushrooms for, like you said. Um, you said you're using um, mushrooms for the mycelium. What do you do with the mycelium? So I've been growing objects. Um, I've only just started, like I was very lucky because I've done it in a very, uh, not very sterile way, but I've grown a bowl from um, and cups from um, oyster mushroom mycelium and feeding uh pieces of like uh, wood chip is one material I've used that was the beginning and also uh, sugarcane mulch and then I got to coffee so I've got all these objects which are falling apart now because I take them around and show people and stuff and um, but you know the fact that I've grown them just makes me feel like wow okay this is possible you know Ecovative in the US um, uh, it's a company that grows uh, pretty much anything from surfboards to car parts for Ford to um, total replacement for IKEA of um, uh, styrofoam packaging. You know, it's endless. There are bricks grown by other companies. There are amazing tiles, um, insulation. So, you know, I and started... And this is all mycelium. Yes, all different types of fungi have different types of 
form, like there's vegan leather as well grown from mushrooms where you don't need to use chromium and other really, really bad chemicals that kill the soil and the people that and their water systems and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and it grows like fast, you know, within a week or so, maybe longer. But there you can grow really quickly a, a great piece of le- leather without having to use any chemicals and without having to kill anything and wait for the cow to grow and feed it a lot of water, a lot of nutrients. You know, it's just so much more sustainable. So I think like I would love to grow. The reason why it's all kind of started, I was at a meeting with my bosses and I said, look, why are we spending, you know, like approximately $400,000 just on hire of marquees and tents for the festival? Why can't we just grow them? And they just both looked at me like really weirdly. And I was like, well, we can, you know, you can grow um, – leather like that's resistant to degradation and stuff it's apparently like on par if not better than leather and you can imagine that because look how hard some of the fungi are in nature you know like Mm. that grow like these so you can make anything out of that mycelium that created that mushroom so when you think about it that way it's like why can't we be doing that and actually using agricultural and industrial waste and rather than putting it into landfill we could now be feeding it all to microbes that will be creating these sort of things you know you can grow out of kombucha (laughs) on your um, bench you can grow leather as well out of that there's so many amazing opportunities and so yeah I started with bowls I really would like to continue this um, you know I'm currently just planning a little lab sort of thing so I can make it more sterile and more and start using um, some of the artisans or artists that are here at Woodfordia and collaborating on developing the techniques to a to a product that can be used during the festival and also use it in workshops and teach people how to do it. Like the possibilities are just endless, you know, and in Australia it hasn't been done yet. And I feel like, oh, my gosh, I just want to start it because I want this to start. I want it to be here. I want it to, you know, I want it to be something we have available in our, you know, in our shops. Um, and, yes, so I'm kind of itching to do some stuff, you know, and um, and I know I realise with my position um, that it won't be me so much doing any of that, but I've got some experience now and developing with others who are interested in collaborating and then starting a, a company, you know, um, to mm. do that and, and a sustainable one that's going to share the resources and so other st- companies can start, you know what I mean? Yeah, look, yeah. you yep. know, that's that's kind of where I've started and I feel so passionate about that subject. Um, and, of course, you know, experimenting with plastic biodegradation, oil biodegradation, like... I'm about to um, do some experiments with um, high school students where we're going to actually examine how we can make a filter out of mushroom mycelium from oyster mushrooms because that's what Paul Stamets has shown in his book as well. And you create a filter to absorb, um, you know, oil spills of water or, or even just degrading oil, you know, by just pouring the oil rather than taking it into landfill, actually degrading it by fungi and it just grows mushrooms. And those mushrooms can either either be eaten if they're safe and that's, again, requiring, um, you know, some tests to be performed or just letting the organisms that are going to decompose the fungi and insects to eat it and take it away. And it's in that form when it's getting taken away in little bits and pieces, you're not actually contaminating the environment anymore. You're distributing it over a large area. According to Paul, actually, what I've read, um, there might not be any remnants of any toxins any harmful toxins left in that oil or crude um, or diesel or whatever it is that we use for those experiments. So I just think like, wow. And same with pesticides. I would like no fungi love is eating pesticides. One of my pet kind of desires as well is to go out into um, where Agent Orange in Vietnam is still affecting millions of children basically that have 
uh, deformities as a result of the poisoning that's still on the landscape and getting a team of people interested in going out there and creating filters of mushrooms, growing mushrooms to regenerate the land there so that the next generation doesn't have to be born with these diseases. That makes them immobile. And imagine like some kids are like born with no eyes and it's a horrible, horrible poisoning with dioxin, the harshest of... um, of uh, poisons we've created, um, and you know th- these are the kind of projects I'm interested in that I wa- that people, you know, would be going like, oh, I'm so excited about this, let's do it, and I'm so wanting to support those sort of, um, you know, um, citizen science projects. I do believe that it's going to happen through citizens engaging in these projects and not just waiting for companies and governments to do it, because we are responsible for some a lot of the damage we create, right? So by not waiting and actually acting and it could just be done with a group of people and they're just like, I want to do this, I want to contribute to it. You know, it doesn't have to be where we have to wait. We can experiment Mm. now, as you say, like in your own backyard, in your own kitchen, you know, start small. And I think really honestly that's got huge potentials because you're contributing that little bit of information, whether you pass it on to a friend or put it on the Facebook page or you know, share it at a festival or run a workshop or give a talk, whichever way you want to share it, it becomes part of the database of our innovation of a better future, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It it just seems like there's so many ways that we can use mushrooms, use mycelium. There's so many um, different benefits and, and yeah, it's just almost overwhelming. Where yes. do you start? You know, we've talked about bioremediation. You know, I know there's certain kinds of mushrooms that you eat um, with, I don't, I don't really know, but all sorts of good things in there. Can Do you know a little bit about the, the um, edible mushrooms? Yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert on the, on the, on those kind of um, what's in them, but I've definitely heard stories and read articles about the just incredible nutritional and medicinal properties of these guys. Yeah. Hmm. This has been a uh, a very fascinating conversation, Sandra. Is there? We're we're about to finish up now, and um, mm-hmm. uh, you know the probiotic life, uh, as we've talked about, uh, to me is about creating life around us. Is is there any sort of um, words of wisdom that you would want to um, end with to share with our listeners? Go and experiment for yourself. I think you know. Um, just be open to possibilities. Be open to the fact that these possibilities also can be tested scientifically and and need to be for the world to change. But also have that um, approach to life where you're willing to really like just. Um, it's so much when we're little and stuff, we get, oh, no, that's impossible, you know. Kids have such an open heart where they're able to see things we don't see. I remember being that child and I sometimes still have that inside of me and I can find it. And if we all found that child within and we lived in our passions, our life Mm -hmm. would be much better and we'll be happier and we'll be more likely to collaborate with others as a result. And I'm just starting to learn that for myself. So I'm talking from experience like meeting you for example like that enriches my life you know the 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 fact that I've stepped out of my comfort zone and went out there and and said can I give a talk at a Woodford Folk Festival or the Planting Festival you know and and researched it and went for it like that's now created this amazing network of humans as well and 
And I think if everyone lives in their passion and really follows their heart no matter what, I think that's in itself is going to change the world, regardless of whether you're into fungi, bacteria, anything, anything. It doesn't have to be any life form. It's just you being that life, that having that life propagated inside of you because you're living in your passion. I think that's my final say on this, yeah. Wow, cool. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being on The Probiotic Life. Oh, I just can't thank you enough for doing this um, and, yeah, having me on the show. And I really hope um, your listeners have learned a lot from what we had to say and I just i am really grateful for your time. Thank you. <laughs> so, what did you learn? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this or any other episode. So, check us out on Facebook uh, and connect with us and go to the Probiotic Life website for the show notes for this and all of our podcasts. There'll be a link to Sandra's Mycomania page on Facebook. And if you have some ideas for citizen science research, let us know. So thank you for listening and being a part of this journey. And until next time, cheers. Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life.